Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter's finally coming to a close, but you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West. Nothing beats the confidence the perfect little piece can give you. And their new collections of footwear, apparel, and accessories will let you take on the world in style. Use their Need It Now edit, also known as the Nine Edit, to search effortlessly through trends like Western-style boots, loafers, and more. It's time to wear our confidence, ladies. We can't be contained. Because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24. Your body is unique. So why would you settle for a weight loss plan that's one size fits all? Noom is the weight management program that takes into account your biology to build a custom plan just for you. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Welcome to In Her Shoes. I'm Lindsay Peoples, and I'm editor-in-chief of The Cut. On this show, I get to talk to people that we love and admire, or some that we just find interesting. We'll explore how they found their path and what maybe have gotten in their way and how they brought others along now that they've arrived. So it's been two years since I rejoined The Cut, this time as editor-in-chief. And on this episode, we're going to be revisiting my very first cover with the incomparable Abby Phillip. There were a lot of things that came to mind when I was thinking about my first cover and coming back to The Cut. I never thought about coming back to The Cut. It wasn't something that I had planned or it wasn't something that I thought was going to happen. So when the opportunity presented itself and I shockingly got the job, I was really excited and I just made boards for a while of like, you know, what we did before when I worked here and kind of a new era of the cut and how I could start to visualize that and create a visual language around that. I was incredibly nervous. You can do all the talking and all the meetings, but at a certain point you have to put out work into the world and just kind of let people decide what they want to decide. One of the biggest things about The Cut is that I really want it to be a place that creates conversations. And I felt like Abby was somebody who really was like the perfect example of someone who creates conversations that force people to think about things. Around that time, there was so much conversation and controversy around Black Lives Matter, around Stop Asian Hate. And it felt like she was that one beacon of light in news that was really bringing about important conversations. And to me, that just emulated a new direction that I wanted to take the cut in. It's always interesting because you know, it's fascinating to hear what people's perception of styling is from the outside looking in because it's like they almost feel like you're like a clothing bank, like put in the ATM card, put a number and then they just appear, clothes appear. This is Siobhan Kennedy. She is an amazing fashion stylist in the industry who I've known for many years. I was super, super honored, super flattered. And of course, it was like a no brainer that I was going to make it work. For a shoot like Abby's, we wanted it to be a shoot that looked like her and just elevated in an editorial way. So we didn't want to, you know, we didn't want to dye her hair and we didn't want to do do anything that felt like it wasn't 
innately who she is. And I think that's why she loved the photo so much because it just looked like her in her strongest self. I was like, oh, we'll go like a little more neutral and it'll be like kind of classic 90s, which is my jam, just, you know, wearing goatee and like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but then Lindsay was like, color. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool, totally. And so like pivoted and I remember trying to think of how my interpretation of color for Abby was, you know, and like just that little hint of the, I guess, Siobhan sauce, you know? I think Siobhan did a really incredible job of giving her styling and also photos that I think just felt like naturally part of who she already was. So nothing felt too forced. And I think that also just fell in line, you know, with an eventual ethos for the cut that I had around, you know, not really wanting to be a magazine that was focused on being aspirational and kind of talking down to women, but also not wanting to be a magazine that was, you know, too passive, too just attainable. Maybe I'll pick it up. Maybe I don't. Maybe I read it. Maybe I don't. And I really wanted to be in the middle of being an approachable publication that felt like, you know, part of this community and part of your friend group. And when you saw the Abby photos, you recognize her from TV, but you're like, oh, yeah, like I want to be friends with her. I want to talk with her. I want to get to know her. And so finding a production team that can kind of convey that in different ways is a challenge, but it's a fun one. In between anchoring the newscast and getting ready to cover the State of the Union address, we got a chance to catch up, reminisce about that day and chat about what life has been like since then. Hi, my love. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I heard you were speaking in my hometown. Milwaukee? Milwaukee. Yeah. Oh, for real? Oh, Mm -hmm. I didn't know that was your hometown. Yeah, girl. Midwest for life. Milwaukee people, they they were were like, oh my gosh, Abby Phillips. I was like, yeah, I know. Oh my (laughs) gosh. Yes. I also can't believe this was from... Why does 2021 feel when like eight years ago? Two years ago? This, this is March 22nd, 2021. This feels like it was eight years ago, which is nuts to me. I know. I know. And yet um, also feels like yesterday on some level, too. Yeah. Yeah. The time, time is, is flown. Time is weird. So specifically for our cut cover from March 2021, What were you even thinking when you reached out? I know we had talked early on then of wanting you to be on the cover. What, you know, went through your head at least? I had serious heart palpitations for sure. I was so (laughs) nervous and I couldn't believe that you asked, but it was a no brainer. I said yes, but also... I was pregnant (laughs) and no one knew it at the time. I hadn't told anyone and I was really nervous about that too because I was trying to figure out, okay, well, when we do this, will I be showing? What's going to be happening? I just Mm -hmm. uh, wasn't sure how that would go, but it was pretty incredible. I I mean, I think the experience overall was was incredible and it went... um, it went so smoothly considering that I was probably like a size smaller the week before that it happened (laughs) because I was in that stage of the pregnancy where all of a sudden I was like, okay, you're pregnant. So, um, I, I was really honored, but also terrified at the same time. Yeah. I mean, obviously you're on TV and doing speaking engagements all the time. Does it feel different when you're doing a shoot and, you know, on a cover versus, you know, obviously just being on, on television and, and going through that is is probably a different experience. So, 
It is a totally different experience. I think it's, I mean, they could, I don't think that they are even close to the same skill set <laughs> in terms of what it takes to uh, do a photo shoot. And I am a really awkward person. So no, you're I not. think she's that- <laughs> lying, everyone. She's lying. <laughs> no, I am about pictures. So in some ways, I had to tap into the same kind of headspace where it's like, there is confidence inside of you and maybe you might not feel it in that moment, but you have to channel it and tap into it mm-hmm. and um, and really bring it out in that moment. And in some ways you have to block out your inner voices and anything that's really going on around you and you are who you are and like you're badass self, if I can say that on this podcast. You can. You have to figure out how to tap into that. It helps a lot when you have really great energy around you. And I think that energy was very much there for me um, in that room. I mean, I mentioned very few people knew that I was pregnant, but mm-hmm. um, one person who was there did know. And uh, it was my makeup artist who is a good, very good friend of mine. And because she sees me in like every moment of every day of my life sometimes she was one of the only people who I had told. So she was kind of like whispering in my ear, like affirmations in that moment. And it really helped me kind of center myself to feel confident in my body at a time when my body was changing in ways that I wasn't used to and wasn't used to experiencing. When I'm on TV, I just, I, I'm focused on what I know, but I don't do photo shoots all the time. So that was (laughs) something totally different. (laughs) What was your reaction when you saw it? Oh my God, blown away. It was, I mean, it was incredible. It was, the photos were creative and artistic and there were some things that I was doing that in the moment I was like, how is this going to come together? (laughs) And it was beyond my expectations. The photographer shot on film, so... Mm-hmm. The the photos had this character about it that was sort of timeless. And I think the, the clothing choices were also timeless, but sophisticated and strong and feminine. And I was just kind of like, this is what I want for the rest of my life. All of the wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> I think the styling and glam, though, is so important because I think people think of it as... Uh, you know, they can tend to think of it as something shallow or really superficial. But I think, you know, when you um, when you want to, like, take control of your life in, an, in a narrative, you also have to, like, carry yourself in that way. And I think how you present yourself to the world is is so much in line with that alignment with that. And so um, I remember when we were doing like preliminary calls about this shoot, which was my first cut cover coming back as editor in chief. And I really, I was like, I just want her to look like the bad bitch she is. Like, I just like, I don't want to change anything. I just want to. You nailed it. You nailed it. (laughs) Seriously. I mean, you made me, I mean, the, the, the whole team, I mean, I felt like myself, really. I felt like myself, but I felt like the strongest, most beautiful version of it. And sometimes I'm a journalist first before I'm a television journalist. And so sometimes those elements of the job can be a little exhausting, always having to worry about hair and makeup and what I'm wearing and so on and so forth. But when I take a step back and I imagine what it's like, what it's like even for me when I look at the television and I see women that I admire on TV, 
I think people admire the whole package of the person. And if I didn't feel like this was my authentic self, I wouldn't be doing it. But I do. I am my grandmother's child grand my, you know my my grand I'm my grandmother's grand you know grandchild and my grandmother was the type of person who like you don't walk out of the house without looking very put together and she was gonna yeah. she would come to visit us and get off the airplane in a floor length dress and her heels and she was like ready to go Love so to see it. in some ways I am I am from that kind of line of women. So I care about what I look like. And I think that when you look and you feel strong and powerful, and in my case, wanting to feel, you know, feminine, you know, and knowledgeable and in command, it all, hair, makeup, clothing, it's all part of that picture. Yeah. Do you have a favorite photo from the photo shoot? Controversial question, because, you know, we go through so many meetings for these when we produce the cover. I don't even think people realize how many Zooms, meetings in person over the computer, Google Meet, whatever you use um, to go through all the photos. And it'll be like a slight pose on this one or a slight movement on this one. And just to even narrow it down is always very hard. Um, But I was curious of what photo you really liked versus what I chose. I think my favorite one is this, um, it's like a light blue, almost teal. I knew you were going to say that because you changed it to your Twitter photo. That's my Twitter photo. (laughs) I I love that photo. It is like, because it's, it's exactly what you said. It's like, you want, like it made, it made me feel wearing it in that moment made me feel so strong and yet like beautiful. And, um, you know, I love the like high neck, like white blouse underneath. And Mm -hmm. it, you know, the pose with my hands on my jacket. I loved that. I, that one I, I loved so much, but uh, I agree. Also, um, actually, can I, uh, this is cheating. Um, (laughs) (laughs) there was a beautiful I think this actually this was one of the ones that you the one maybe it's the one you chose the Ghani dress the yeah red and black orange Mm -hmm. and black dress Mm -hmm. um I also loved that one because um I was super nervous about that dress (laughs) like (laughs) I was kind of like freaking out about it I was like oh my god they're gonna know I'm pregnant but then I'm like they're supposed to know I'm pregnant it's fine like um I felt like that one was kind of like a little bit of an inside moment for me because I felt like I could see my daughter there. Yeah. Yeah. I loved that about that photo. So no, it's, it's so sweet. Um, and yeah, I mean, I loved that photo cause I just felt like you looked like a painting in that one. And I just yeah, felt like it I was, it. somebody needs to put it up on the wall. Put up it was so hard house. to pick cause they were all so beautiful. <laughs> um, and I remember we did, your interview with Gail, who's a huge fan of yours as well. Um, so what, what was that experience like? And I mean, in general, I know you have to like meet a lot of people and get to meet a lot of people, I mean, through your job. But um, what is it like to, you know, be able to be interviewed by someone like that and be able to talk with someone like that about your career? Uh, talk about an out of body experience. It was so surreal for me. And I, um, you know, I mean, I just, I think I have to take everyone back like this was now two years ago and um those three months or four months that led up to that had been kind of like an insane uh I was like on this 
like launch pad of just going somewhere. I didn't know where I was going. And so things really went from zero to 60 very quickly for me at that moment. And I love Gail. I just love her. I love her authenticity. I love her realness. I love her kind of down to earth nature. And um, she's like an aunt, your favorite, you know, your favorite aunt, a mother figure type of person. And so um, for her to take time out of her very, very busy life to talk to me to do this, I think was a real honor. And the busier I get, the, the more I know how hard that is for busy people to do. Right. So I just felt like um, I was really blessed in that moment that she said yes. And our conversation kind of unfolded the way I would expect. It was just like two friends. We had not ever even met in person at that point. We've we've since met. And um, she's just a great supporter of mine. Uh unprompted. She's literally the person who mm-hmm. sends me notes at like five in the morning um, <laughs> because she's up at five in the morning and she'll send me an email and she'll say, I saw you or you did such a great job or how's your little baby? And it's, it's incredible. When we come back, Abby and I chat about work, life since the baby and the shoes that keep her grounded behind the anchor desk after the break. Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter's finally coming to a close, but you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West. Nothing beats the confidence the perfect little piece can give you. And their new collections of footwear, apparel, and accessories will let you take on the world in style. Use their Need It Now Edit, also known as the Nine Edit, to search effortlessly through trends like Western-style boots, loafers, and more. It's time to wear our confidence, ladies. We can't be contained because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24. Most weight loss programs focus on restriction and inflexible routine, which is why most diets fail. But Noom isn't a diet. It's a weight management program that uses psychology and biology to help you develop healthy, sustainable habits. Noom believes that weight loss starts with the brain, and their daily lessons are tailored to help users understand the science behind food cravings and eating choices. Whether you want to lose weight, increase physical activity, meet a health goal, or simply change the way you think about food, Noom can help you build healthy habits while still enjoying your favorite foods. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com and check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Okay, so this podcast is called In Her Shoes. So I have to ask, um, are there favorite shoes that you wear at work? And also, you have to tell me what the shoe situation is like when you're on camera. Are you wearing high heels? <laughs> are you wearing slippers? What's what's the deal? Well, I'll start there because speaking of feeling powerful, even though most of the time I could probably get away with not wearing heels, I wear heels. 
even when I'm behind the desk because I, I assume think it, so. Yeah, I, it makes me feel with it, you know, and I feel right. like I need to kind of have my whole get up together. So even when I can get away with other things, I still wear them. I like to wear heels and not everybody does, but I do. And my favorite pair of heels, just like in general, Monolos are kind of like my go-to. They're just, they're like comfortable, sexy, classic, like, you know, I mean, I can wear them for long periods of time if I need to. Whereas like some shoes I love, but I have to take them off because they're not comfortable. (laughs) (laughs) So for me, and everybody's a little different, but for me, I can wear Manolos like every day and they make me feel like confident. And that's what I'm going for if I'm putting on a pair of heels. Yeah. I love a pair of Manolos. Um, So I agree with you. Um, So since our our cover together was in 2021, obviously now we're early 2023. Um, What has like changed so much in your life since then? I know we should talk about your baby girl, of course. Yeah. Well, a lot has changed. I mean, I think that um, often, as is the case when you're on, you know, some kind of rocket ship, at some point you hit orbit, right? Mm-hmm. And you're and you're you're cruising along, and so I think that that's kind of where things are. And I don't think people talk about this enough, but when that happens what that feels like and how you cope with it is actually Mm -hmm. its own thing. Because when you're so used to going, 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 and then suddenly things seem to kind of level off, it's actually a very disorienting feeling. And if I'm being honest, I I went through that where I was kind of like, oh my God, is something wrong? Right. That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah, nothing's wrong. It's just that you're hitting a kind of, leveling off period, it's not necessarily going to stay that way, but it's okay to kind of be in those moments. And that has been a process for me. It's been coupled with the fact that shortly after all of this happened back in 2021, I had my baby, I went on a maternity leave. I decided to really take my leave and spend time with my daughter. I regret not a moment of that. It was the best time ever. And so re-entering work and spending the last year kind of really feeling like I'm settling in has been what I've been up to. And I think for a lot of working moms, it is not easy. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm not going to lie. It's, it is not easy to find your equilibrium when everything about your life has really changed in some fundamental ways and your priorities are shifting yeah. and your focus is shifting, but also your capacity is expanding in a lot of ways. I think I do way more now than I did before I had a child. And uh, that's been kind of extraordinary to experience. And uh, I just still don't know how we all do it. A lot of days, I don't know how I do it when I wake <laughs> up in the morning and I'm just like, I don't know how this is all going to get done, but it does get done. And I think a lot of women who go through this kind of understand what I'm talking about because it just, you look at your days sometimes and you're like, this is impossible, but it's possible one yeah. way or another. I mean, specifically when you talk about motherhood, how has it shifted your perspective? 
I am much less tolerant of things that don't serve me. The truth is that, and I've known this for a long time, when you're, you know, 80 years old, Lord willing, when you look around you, what you're going to have is, Lord willing, your family. All of this other stuff, work and career and reputation, it's not going to be there for you when you need people or you need when you need it the most. And so it really, I think having a child really puts that into very sharp focus that um, there are some things that are really important and suddenly you have the responsibility of caring for and raising and the physical and mental and emotional well-being of another human. And that changes things. I think it also, time is so limited. So when you do spend your time on things, it really has to be serving a purpose. And um, for me, obviously, my work is very important. It's also important to me that my daughter knows me as a working mom. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a that's on a priority list. But so is making sure that she's okay and spending time with her. And so balancing those things is just a constant work. And I do all kinds of insane things sometimes to make it happen. You know, like I will take like crazy flights so that I can be home in the morning to see my my daughter when she wakes up, (laughs) even if it's for 45 minutes. So like I will sacrifice all kinds of things, especially sleep, just to kind of have those few minutes with her. And it doesn't mean that I'm necessarily cutting back on my professional responsibilities, but I'm making choices that I may not have otherwise made if I didn't have a baby at home. Totally. Um, I do want to go back to the beginning of your career, though, because, you know, I wanted to touch on what made you even want to pursue journalism. And, and now since, you know, your trajectory has shifted so much, what keeps you excited about it? Yeah, I mean, what make made me want to be a journalist was just the fact that I think journalism is responsible for serving the people, serving the interests of people who don't get to be in these rooms, who don't get to ask these questions, whose lives are otherwise ignored or, um, you know, not visible to the the powers that be. And mm-hmm. so part of that is Washington and covering what's happening where the decisions are being made. And I think I've spent a lot of my career up until this point doing that part of it. The part of my career that I want to spend more time on is the other part, which is lifting up the stories of real people and kind of reflecting the experiences of the real world onto a platform where it can't be ignored by the folks Mm -hmm. in Washington. I think that up until this point in my career and even now, there's just, you know, a lot of focus on which lawmaker is saying this and who's saying that and what are they doing and just the accountability bit of it in Washington. But if I were to look forward and think, okay, what do I want to do more that makes me feel like I am kind of meeting my 21-year-old self where I started in wanting Mm -hmm. to get into this business, it would be 
to have a platform where I can do more of the stories that that really illuminate the lived experiences of real people in this country so mm-hmm. that people in power can't ignore it. And I think that's the gold standard. I mean, I think when I think of people who've made it, I think of the people who have the ability to do that with impact. And that's what I want to do. Yeah. I mean, you've talked so much also about stories that are impactful, but also stories that are really rooted and grounded in how people actually feel and are experiencing life, which I think is um, something that always drew me to you and watching you on TV was that it felt like um, you were really close to how people actually are are living and interacting in the world and it didn't feel far away. Um, and I know also in our in our cover story, you talked with Gail um, for a second about that you wanted to sound like a friend um, to, to people and you wanted to sound like a neighbor, um, you know, to, to viewers who were watching you on television. Take me back to, you know, when you decided that and how you kind of cultivated that voice or that ethos um, mm. to sound like that and to like approach the audience in that way. I've always been, I think, pretty uncomfortable with when I'm in Washington and also when I'm on air and talking in political segments. Sometimes it feels like the conversation that we're having with each other on television is like, I don't want to, inside baseball is really an overused term, but it's literally like, we know that some things are not true, but we feel like we have to say it anyway because that's what you're supposed to say mm-hmm. when you're a political journalist. And I've always felt uncomfortable with the disconnect between that and the just sort of common sense, basic understanding of things that just real people have when they're looking at the things that are happening in Washington. And I think it's taken me, a, it took me a while to get comfortable just leading into that and just saying out loud that we should stop with these silly Washington platitudes um, that we say because that's what we're supposed to say when really there's a common sense interpretation to a lot of things and people are really not stupid and we should start treating them like they have a seat at the table and that their common sense matters. So when they see chaos, we shouldn't be telling them that they're not seeing chaos. Let's just say what it is. Right. And I also think the perspective that I have as a black person in this country, as someone who knows a lot of regular black people in this country, is just always going to be a little bit different from what mm-hmm. a lot of my colleagues present. And when I'm around my family, my family and my husband's family in North Carolina, and people are talking about what's going on, I think that that perspective needs a seat at the table too. Right. You know, I just think back to January 6th and just, I remember when we were watching it all unfold and all the violence and all the chaos and seeing just the lack of preparedness that existed there. I know what people like me were seeing when they saw those images. They were seeing a double standard mm-hmm. because a Just a couple of months earlier in Washington, there were armored vehicles on the streets. There were helicopters circling K Street downtown uh, when black protesters were on the street. And so giving voice to that disconnect, I think, is important because those voices matter. And 
like I said, they need a seat at the table. And I just think that when people ask me at home or at Thanksgiving or wherever we are at the bar, what's going on in Washington, my tone and demeanor on the air shouldn't be all that different from what I would tell them right? in those settings. And if it is different, I think that should be a little bit of a wake up call that maybe you're not being completely honest and upfront with the audience about what's really going on. Yeah. Um, I also remember doing that interview. Gail had said that the first person that she, the first politician that she interviewed was Jesse Jackson and that he told her excellence is the best deterrent to racism. So be excellent. Um, And I wanted to hear your opinions on this because I know that obviously, you know, being excellent is something that you, you know, try to be and aspire to be, I think in every single way, but how do you, in practice do that? And also um, what has that actually felt like in, you know, it being a responsibility and sometimes probably also a burden? Yeah, it's so, that is so interesting um, that you reminded me of that. And um, there's so much to unpack because um, I think especially that coming from Jesse Jackson, someone who did a lot of things in his life, but still wasn't able to kind of attain you know, he ran for president twice and didn't mm-hmm. become president for all kinds of reasons. And I, um, you know, I wonder if he believes, still believes that aphorism that he um, that he mentioned to Gail. I think that most times excellence is the best defense against racism for you as a person, perhaps who might be the recipient of racism out in the world. Um, it's the best mindset to be in is to focus on your work and to focus on your excellence. However, I don't think that excellence necessarily negates people's biases against you. And I think we have to be honest about that. I think that there are a lot of excellent people who don't get their due because very little that happens out here in the industries that we're in, that I'm in, in in journalism and that you're in, in, um, in journalism and fashion uh, is a total meritocracy where if you're just really good, you get ahead. Sometimes yeah. it's just about who they like the most. And sometimes the person that they like the most is the person who reminds them of themselves. Mm. And if they don't There's look a like you, then you may not remind them of somebody who might succeed the way that they did. So yeah. we just have to keep that in mind that it is a little bit of a myth that we can just work our way out of some of these things. Mm-hmm. And so that should not deter anyone from continuing to push forward. Um, there is something to be said about being so good that people around you can't ignore you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that sometimes what that really means for, for people of color is that when you're so good at what you do, sometimes they have no choice but to acknowledge that. Right. Um, And that can work in your favor, but it does not negate the obstacles that might be in your way that have nothing to do with your ability or your performance in in your job. Totally. Totally. I mean, I think also so much of what we talk about when we when we talk about this topic is that there's just different lanes for all of us, even if we all want to go about it different ways. There's different ways for us to do that. And I think 
something that we talked about a lot that I really admire about you is that you've always just been true to like what you're trying to do. And I think everybody has their own different definition also of what excellent, you know, is actually. It really depends on the person. But I feel like um, in watching you and your career trajectory since, you know, our, our cover two years ago, um, the excellence that you aspire to have, I think, is really one of your own. And it's not trying to go after it for somebody else to kind of validate it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I mean, I think that this has been just a, a product of the fact that I felt in a lot of ways like I have no choice but to do that because there are not as many kind of models out there for mm-hmm. me as I would like there to be. There have certainly been many Black women doing this, but at a lot of phases in my career, when I'm in a particular place— and in, at a particular moment, it hasn't always been the case that I could like look over there and see, okay, this person is doing what I want to do or that person's doing what I want to do. So you mm-hmm. have to look inside of yourself and say, okay, what am I good at? What is my core competency? And how can I do more of that? I think one of the things about me and, and especially in the last several years, it's never been the case that I've gone to people here at CNN or elsewhere and said, you must give me this platform and you must give me this opportunity. Um, That's not something that I think would work well for me. Uh, It's not in my nature to do that. Um, I've simply said, here's what I want to do more of. If you give me this opportunity, I will perform. Mm-hmm. in the way that I know how to perform. And I will work and work and work. I don't mind feedback. I love feedback. I, I seek it out. I just try to evolve myself day to day. And that's generally what I tell people, a lot of young journalists who ask me for advice about how to conduct themselves in their careers. It's that you have to be the kind of self-learning machine here. Mm-hmm. You have to like seek out the tweaks and the adjustments and make the changes so that you can propel yourself forward. And you should be seeking learning and advancement in terms of what you know how to do and not Mm -hmm. be seeking platforms and positions. And I can say, like really, I can say with 100% certainty that I've never in my career done something with the goal of seeking a platform. Yeah. It's always been here's what I want to do more of and where do I need to go in order to do that thing. And so if you don't worry about the titles and you don't worry about the positions, you don't worry about the prestige of the place that you work at and you seek out, oh, how can I make myself better? How can I get better at this thing that I'm not so good at or how can I get better at that thing? The end result will be the success that you're seeking. Right. Right. Um, I'm also curious because I remember when we were doing um, our cover in 2021, I remember that time also being so fraught politically, so many really hard conversations that were necessarily overdue happening around Black Lives Matter, around Stop Asian Hate. Um, And you were obviously one of the voices that I felt like was, you know, clearing a way through the path and just having really important overdue conversations um, on a bigger platform. Now, 2023, 
cases like Tyree Nichols and cases around police brutality are constantly, you know, still part of the news cycle. And so I'm just wondering how you cope with that as a journalist and also just a black woman. I mean, I think it can be I know that it can be really just mentally a lot to handle, to cover all of these cases. Um, And so I'm curious of of what that's been like on your end. Yeah, it's it's obviously been difficult that week that all of the things really started to move forward on the Tyree Nichols case. I was anchoring throughout the week. So covering all the developments and knowing that the video was coming out that Friday. Yeah. I was really grateful to not be on the air that night. Honestly, um, that night my husband and I had some place to go. We went out to dinner and we sat at the dinner table and the video came out and we both said to each other, we don't need to watch this right now. And just, I, I understand why the video needed to be released, why the family wanted it to be released. Yeah. But I, I honestly felt in that moment, I did not need to see a black man murdered with my own eyes. I just didn't need to see it. I didn't need to see someone beaten to death. It's just not, I don't need to see it to know what was going to transpire on that video, especially given what I had heard from the people that I had talked to who had seen it. Right. And on top of that, I think just on a personal level, and this is why these stories are so different for us, and I don't think we should shy away from this, but I have two brothers, both of them skinny black men. And every time I looked at Tyree Nichols, when I saw him talk, when I saw him carry himself, I saw my brothers. Mm -hmm. And that is really hard to um to deal with. So, you know, I think as a human being, it's just difficult. Yeah. And um I'm sorry, I'm like getting very emotional, okay. but we, you know, we as journalists have to put our emotions aside to deal with these things. But as a human being and as a mother now, I mean, I have two brothers, my husband is a black man. Yeah. And when my two brothers go out into the world and they go into a store or they're driving around, I think about it every single day, what could happen to them. Mm-hmm. And so that's why this is different. And sometimes you do have to protect yourself a little bit when you need to. And if I had to be on the air and cover that video minute by minute, you better believe I would be there to do it. But in that moment, sometimes you're just grateful for a respite. And I got it that weekend where I could just take a moment and not have to put myself in that place. And on Sunday morning, we talked about the video and we analyzed it in, I think, a way that I'm really proud of with the help of my some of my colleagues who are really knowledgeable about this issue. But mm-hmm. it is difficult for all of us. And, um, and yes, because it's not a superficial thing. It's not just, oh, they look like him. It's literally that, like, as a Black person, my little brother, who is 19 years old, if he is driving around somewhere, we there he he might be pulled over. He has dreadlocks and skinny and is like, whatever. Like he might be pulled over and profiled in a way that puts him in danger. And that's just mm-hmm. a reality that we have to live with. 
I think having you on air has brought so much of us comfort. And I really do appreciate your transparency always because I think it's it's so important on these issues. I mean, I want to also just touch on if there's anything that you're looking forward to doing this year. I don't know if you're still writing the Jesse Jackson book because we talked about that before. Yes, yes, yes. I am writing the Jesse Jackson book. I'm really looking forward to wrapping that up this year. <laughs> and I this year I really, you know, I I want to um do some really interesting stories. I'm hoping to do a story about just the positive, hopeful side of black maternal health. You know, I mean, we know all of the statistics, but um you know, I had a home birth and a lot of women I know did and I'm hoping to do a, a piece about why a lot of Black women are going that route and just where the bright spots are, the hope that there is for saving more lives of Black women and their babies who are mm-hmm. at, you know, three times the risk of dying in childbirth. And um, so just lots of different kinds of stories and just kind of flexing my muscles in different ways this year. I'm very excited. It's always great to talk with you. I so appreciate you doing this. I know you're so busy. Um, and I'm, so I'm oh my super, God, it's, grateful. it is such a pleasure. It's so fun to talk to you again after all this time. And I'm obviously, I've told you this before, so grateful to you for giving me the platform that you did, but also uh, in your time doing what you're doing, these covers that you've been working on have been so extraordinary. And I'm so proud of you. I'm just going to take a personal moment to say I'm really <laughs> proud of you and keep being excellent and making all of us proud. I'm trying. I hope to see you soon, my dear. Thank you, you so too. much. In Her Shoes is hosted by me, Lindsay Peoples. Our lead producer is Taka Zen. Our engineer is Brandon McFarland and our executive producer is Hannah Rosen. Special thanks to Shabon Kennedy. I'm Lindsay Peoples, and thank you so much for listening. Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter's finally coming to a close, but you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West. Nothing beats the confidence the perfect little piece can give you, and their new collections of footwear, apparel, and accessories will let you take on the world in style. Use their Need It Now edit also known as the Nine Edit, to search effortlessly through trends like Western-style boots, loafers, and more. It's time to wear our confidence, ladies. We can't be contained. Because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24.